Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Define University podcast, a space designed for educators to ignite your passion, transform your mindset, and learn to love who you are in the process. My name is Lindsay Titus, and I am here to share simple yet strategic steps each week with you to build your momentum into creating a life full of purpose and passion. The time is now. Let's dive on in to today's episode. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Define University podcast. And today's episode was inspired by one of my favorite types of posts that I see out in social media land. And that is posts where people will do like a day in the life. Um, So whether it's a blog post, whether it's stories on Instagram, whether it's just a video on YouTube, I absolutely love knowing what do people do during their day in their specific roles as it relates to education? And it's, it's a question that I actually get pretty often too in my messages as to like, what does it look like to be a behavior specialist? And a lot of times when I'm talking with people, it's, you know, educators or teachers that are currently in the classroom and are wondering, you know, is it time for me to maybe make the jump to more of a coach type role, maybe a consultant type role? And so we end up getting in some really great conversations about what it is that I do. And I figured, you know what, enough people have asked this, this must be something that's on people's minds. So let's chat about it. Let's bring it to the podcast. And I am going to share with you here what it is that I do on, on a given day as a behavior specialist. And I will, I will let you know, I am recording this during, during quarantine, during e-learning. And I decided to spin this episode as to really primarily what I do when I am in the schools. Now, I will say, though, a lot of the things that I'm going to be talking on this list, are I am doing daily here as well from home. Um, but I really wanted to provide a better, a clearer picture, if you will, as to what does my job look like when I'm in school buildings. Um, so I think above and beyond everything that I do, I try and shape my job, my role into empowerment. So it's really important to me that I empower educators to feel confident in using the strategies that are being recommended, empowering educators to encompass a growth mindset, approaches to challenges or to behaviors, empowering educators to ask questions, seek information, and become curious as to how to make it happen in their classroom. My job as a behavior specialist, guys, it's not to tell, it's not to direct, it is not to manage, it is to teach. Yes, (laughs) just like you, it is to teach. It is to teach the skill set, the expertise, if you will, that I have regarding behavior and teach it to staff so they too can utilize those strategies, those principles, those concepts into their classroom every single day. So, all right, so beyond that, what else, right? What else goes on in my day-to-day role? Well, (laughs) there's doing all those things I mentioned with a variety of staff, which means a variety of philosophies, a variety of opinions, and a variety of challenges, which also means a lot of meetings, a lot of observations, and a lot of paperwork. Guys, in thinking about my role and what a day looks like, the cliche here is so true. No two days look alike. I don't, I don't know that I really have a typical day. Um, each day is very unique in the role that I serve. But what I did want to present with you today are really the five key tasks that I do most days 
in in my role. And so each day I'm guaranteed to pit to to hit at least one if not several of these in some way shape or form. So that is what I'm going to share with you today. And the first of those being professional development. Yeah, and I this probably is not any shocker to those of you listening, but by, you know, by nature of the name, a behavior specialist specializes in what it specializes in behavior, right? Well, what is behavior? Guys, it's any response we have, a response to what happens in our environment. And and <laughs> I again, I don't think this is a surprise, but in a school system, that's a lot of things. We know social emotional experiences impact behavior. We know academics impact behavior. We know biological factors impact behavior, among so many other things. So yes, I specialize in behavior, but I also learn as much as I can about those other areas too, because the more that I can learn and understand all the aspects that influence behavior, the more I can collaborate with other providers, disciplines, truly creating that collaborative team for the students that I work with. So for me, professional development looks like listening to podcasts, all right? And I'm guessing if you're listening to this one, you love podcasts too. Here's my recommendation with podcasts though. Listen to podcasts in different areas, different avenues. I I so I make so many connections by listening to podcasts outside of the quote unquote educational realm. Now, don't get me wrong. I love educational podcasts. This is one of them. But I also think it's important that we listen to podcasts outside of our comfort zone or maybe that 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 provide training or content in a different light because then I'm learning from people different from me, which means I'm increasing increasing my ability to understand what it is I'm doing every day. So a few of my favorites are The Brian Mendler Show. You guys know Brian is a great mentor of mine, and I absolutely love listening to his show and his guests every single week. Uh, Teaching to the Top is another one I love. Michelle and Bridget share all things time management, organization, and productivity. The Teach Better team has an amazing podcast that just provides insight to a variety of of situations that that we deal with, and I just love the... The the foundational understanding that the goal is to teach better. We do better every day, right? That is the ultimate goal. Some other ones outside of education, I love listening to Story Brand by Donald Miller. So again, we look at using our story. Our stories are superpower as an educator. And while his podcast might be related to business, guys, there is so much tangible advice that I take from his podcast and bring into my role and help teachers to see every single day. Another one is the Gold Digger Digger podcast by Jenna Kutcher, the Rise podcast by Rachel Hollis. Yes, these are motivation specific, some marketing and business background, but I can't tell you enough how much I pull from each of these into my my daily role as a behavior specialist. I also, so the first was podcasts, I also get professional development through blog posts and through blog posts, again, through a variety of people. Amanda and Danielle over at Navigating Behavior Change have amazing, easy, simple to read blog posts that just help me see things in a different perspective. The Autism Helper and Autism Classroom Resources with Sasha and Dr. Reeve, those are two other great resources specific to autism. But again, I I can utilize that information in a variety of ways. Teach, Create, Motivate. Ashley provides blog posts that are just so practical. Her tips and tricks are things that I can read and then either go do or I can go easily share with a staff member to say, hey, try this out. 
Again, that Teach Better team, they have a huge blog guest pool that the blogs, the variety of blogs on there are just amazing. Another thing I look at for professional development is research articles. Although I'm not gonna lie, not too often, unless I'm diving deep into a case or one is recommended to me. Again, I wanna make sure that the information I'm sharing is evidence-based, but I'm also simplifying it to the, you know, to the, to the group that I'm talking with. And if people are not reading research articles every single day, then they themselves aren't really going to comprehend what it is that I'm getting at. Another piece with research articles is a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times they are done clinically. And again, we're working in schools. So I also use that as a lens, which is why I think they're great for that background, for that deeper understanding. But if I'm looking for something to really be able to share something with a staff member, I'm going to go more to a podcast, a book, or a blog post. So that brings me back to books. That's the last thing for professional development I really utilize. And some of my favorites right now are Kids These Days by Jody Carrington. Really anything written by Brian Mendler. It's just easy to read, easy to implement. Um, Better Than Car Carrot Sticks and Fostering Resilient Learners are great for trauma-informed care and really utilizing restorative practices. And then The Behavior Code is, is one of my go-to behavior books. Um, it is just, it is split into chapters where you can gain insight and information based on really the, the profile of students as opposed to it being a be-all, you know, end-all kind of thing, which I really love how Jessica broke those down into that book. Guys, I could talk for hours about resources. <laughs> it's, it's something I read every day. I am researching every day. And so if you have specific questions or you're looking for a specific resource, please don't hesitate to send me a message and let's chat. It's one of my favorite things to chat about. And again, I think resources are a great tool. They're not the be all end all. They're not that you have to listen to this or else this. They are a tool. But it also means I need to, I need to know what tool to use to fit the problem that I have, right? If I try and use a hammer to screw in a nail, I'm not going to get the result as if I um, was using a hammer to, to nail a nail in the wall, if that makes sense. Not sure that analogy came out as I intended, but hopefully you guys see the picture. A resource has to, it's a vehicle. It's a tool for you to use, but you got to make sure that you're using the tool for the right intended purpose. I think that sounds about right. All right, so professional development, big part of my role. Another part of my role is data. <laughs> and in the infamous words of tag team, there it is, right? You guys know data had to be talked about on a podcast by a BCBA. I hope so, at least. Yes, you guys, data is a huge part of what I do. In my line, it's mostly directed to analyzing it or training on it. And so what analyzing refers to is the teams that I work with, they take the data. The day in, day out, they take the data and I help them to analyze. So what do I do? I look for patterns. I look for changes since new interventions were in place. I look for outliers or things that might be impacting behavior that we didn't notice before. I look for trends. That's what I'm trained to look for. And I realize that that expertise is not what everyone has. It's a strength of mine. And remember, our strengths lead to our solutions. So that's the strength I'm going to bring to the team in teaching them the patterns I see, what I see, and how I go about it. Because once I recognize it, then I teach it, 
right? My goal with so many things that I do is to teach and allow the ripple effect to take place. Meaning I don't want teams dependent on what I do. Yes, I have that area of expertise, but I also believe we can all grow and learn new things. So I teach it. I don't want someone to wait if I can't, if I can't get to them this week, I don't want them waiting. I want them taking action. So just like you do with your students, I teach behavior to adults with my goal being to empower the teachers I work with to have the confidence in themselves that I see in them every single day. I train one-on-one, -on -one, I train grade levels, I train large group and small group, you name it, I am training in a multitude of things, one thing being data. But the other thing I think it's important to mention with training is I train in a variety of ways because not everyone learns best in a lecture style. We know this from our students and I think quickly we can forget it with the staff we work with as well. Not everyone reads emails. <laughs> so I have to be creative in coming up with various ways to train across my whole district. So that might look like a monthly newsletter with resources and video. A video resource library where the videos are between five and 10 minutes in length. They are short and sweet. So you really, there's no excuse for time. I can watch a five minute video. I can take that step and that tangible tip and I can implement it. I don't need to watch two hours to get that information. I do 30 minute quick trainings. I might do faculty meetings and then I will do half day trainings when they're available. But it's, you notice it's not one or one or none, right? It's not all or nothing. There's several different factors as to how I can train information to make sure I'm fitting the needs of the staff that I'm working with. All right, so the third thing that routinely I do in my day is attend meetings, <laughs> lots of them. Meetings with staff, meetings with parents, meetings with admin. And so here are, here are some quick tips before meetings to make sure that you are being as productive as you can be. So before a meeting, I check in with myself. I check in before I head in, right? It's the check, check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? If I'm in a mood, if I'm in a funk, I take some deep breaths. Sometimes I even jump up and down. I get in the right headspace before I head in. If I'm in my car, I might blast one of my favorite like pump me up music songs. I make sure this is Guys, this is really small, but it's so important. I make sure I'm smiling when I walk in. No one wants to see someone rush into a meeting, look stressed, and seem upset, right? Check it before you wreck it. First impressions do say a lot. And if I'm meeting a parent for the first time, the last impression I want to give is that I'm overwhelmed or stressed and too many things are on my plate that I'm not going to give full attention to the meeting that is about their child. That is not the intention or impression I want to set. So I need to make sure to take those steps before I even walk in to leave what's going on at the door so I can be fully present at the meeting where I'm at. Another thing I do is I make sure to close out my email, my calendar, and have my phone put away. Personally, I get so distracted so quickly that I need those physical boundaries to keep myself focused on what the speaker is saying. Lastly, is I have sentence starters on my, on my laptop to help me answer questions in a collaborative way. See, I'm the person, this is where you've got to know who you are, what kind of person you are. I'm the kind of person that when an issue pops up, I'm like, I'll do it, I'll take it, I got it. <laughs> and then I leave the meeting with a to-do list a mile long and no one else does. 
Not that I won't help, of course, I will. But guys, I was taking it all on. I was leaving already feeling overwhelmed. So by using these cues, just things like, I'm wondering who might be. I'm wondering which part is the most essential here, or has anyone used anything like this before that we could use to start? Just things like that. They're just simple visuals. You guys know I love visuals for students. I also love visuals for me. It helps to keep me present in the moment to ask questions because asking questions can gain more clarity. All right, the fourth thing I do on a routine basis is I do observations. <laughs> observations of students are a large part of what I do. A lot of the times it's because I'm a neutral party. So I, I go among 10 districts. So I don't, you know, unfortunately, I don't get to know kids as well as I would if I was in one building or one classroom. But the beauty of that is I'm able to come in and really look through a neutral lens. I see things through a different perspective. So that's where I come in. I come in and observe. I give feedback. I ask questions to help the team collaborate on the next course of action. I make sure that when I'm observing, I have a general idea of why I'm there. And then I have different ways to collect notes when I'm there. So sometimes it's anecdotally, sometimes it's using a specific data chart, sometimes it's just a checklist. I really try and make sure to pair the purpose, the why of my observation with the method of note taking that I have. That way I know at the end, when I'm meeting with that team, I'm gonna be able to share information with them that aligns with the whole reason I was there in the first place. There's nothing worse than doing an observation meeting with the team after and finding out what I'm providing is really not what they were needing or not what they were looking. It's a waste of their time. It's a waste of mine. And more so, we're not any closer to helping the student. So taking those few minutes before an observation to really understand the why. Now, this is this is important part. I The why to me does not mean the teacher vents about everything specific with that student. I don't want clouded judgment in going in. I want to make sure I'm going in with those clear lenses, right? Those That clear sight. But I do need to know why. I do need to know a little bit of information as to what's going on so that, again, I can make sure that what why I'm while I'm there, I am providing that, that result that the team is looking for. All right, the last thing that really that really encompasses what I do on a given day is email and or communication. So, you know, email, phone, in person, you name it, communication is a huge part of what I do. Similar to meetings, I have to make sure I check it before I communicate. With my role, it can get overwhelming, just like any role in education. But that overwhelm is not an excuse to lose it. It's not an excuse to get angry. It's not an excuse to be short and irrational. I work on my mindset every single day to ensure that I'm staying present and focused on the task at hand. And yes, I have days. (laughs) But overall, I do pretty well because of the habits that I've learned along the way. So things that help me to be an effective communicator, I silently listen without the intent to solve. Guys, this is huge. I'm reading a book right now called The Advice Trap because this is something I focus on every single day. When someone starts talking, I want to help. I want to solve. And that cannot be the intent if we want to be an effective communicator. I need to listen and I need to listen silently so I really hear what they're saying. I'm not listening with the intent to try and solve it for them. Um, Another thing that I remind myself all the time is a short pause is okay. No one likes that awkward silence, but I promise you it is okay. It is how we all process the information and how it all allows us to slow down a minute 
so we really understand what's going on. Sentence starters also help me. Things like, I hear you. I can understand that. What was your thought process here? These, again, lead to more questions, not to me trying to solve the problem for them. For emails, I respond when there's a question, right? I don't know about you, but my email, my inbox can get inundated with emails. And a lot of the times I, I will question, you know, why did this get sent to me or what do I need to do with it? And one of the best tips and tricks I've learned along the way is sometimes it's just someone sharing something. It's not meant for a response. We don't have to use time and energy to do a response to every single email. We respond when there's a question. So this is twofold. It's going to save you time and energy, but it's also going to teach the people emailing to make sure if they did want a response, if they wanted you to take action, if they wanted you to do something with your email, they're going to be clear in their message so that everybody wins. The last thing I do to help me be an effective uh, communicator is remember the nonverbals to communication too. Things like smiling, it's huge, not being on your phone while you're listening to somebody. All of those nonverbal cues are so essential. All right, you guys, that's it. <laughs> All right, that's at least what I'm going to cover today. So the role of a behavior specialist is one of my absolute favorite roles that I've had, and I've loved sharing a little sneak peek into my role with you today. If you've got questions about my role or are considering going into a role like this, guys, please don't hesitate to reach out. I would love to connect and chat. I've had the, the ability, I've had the I can't think of the word right now, to be a behavior specialist in a variety of different settings. I've done it in a public school. I've done it in private residential. I've also done it as a working for a non-for-profit. So if you are really considering going that lens or maybe you already are and you would love some insight, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram pretty regularly and primarily, but you can also head to my website, uh, www.defineuniversity.com and check out all the ways that we can connect there. Did you guys know I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching for educators and group coaching? I also have a monthly membership that is perfect for the educator ready to take that leap into growing who they are as an educator while also learning to love life outside of the classroom too. You guys, thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to, to subscribe, leave a review, and if you're able to, take a screenshot, share it out on social media, tag me in it so I can see you and connect with you too. All right, you guys, that is it for this week. Enjoy the beautiful week ahead, and as always, we will talk soon.